Habs Puck Drop Podcast. Uh, this is going to be part one of the Asperi Kotkaniemi Chronicles. As our listeners from the last podcast know, um, we put a long time into really taking a deep dive on Kotkaniemi and kind of really introducing the entirety of what's going on. So for those who you know have somewhat been under a rock over the last week in terms of hockey news, uh, the Carolina Hurricanes have offersheeted uh, Gisperi Kotkaniemi. Um, before anything, just so we can, you know, put this uh, in, you know, there's a lot of terms and a lot of contract, you know, uh, terminology that's required. An offer sheet is a contract that is offered to a restricted free agent of a team. So basically, um, given the different brackets of price value in terms of uh, per year basis, teams are compensated for losing certain free agents. So Philip Deneau, who is an unrestricted free agent, signs away from Montreal and there is no you know, cost to Los Angeles. However, um, Kotkaniemi, who is restricted, can only sign with Montreal or Montreal must be compensated by the team that signs Kotkaniemi should he agree to a contract, which he did. So, um, you know, Whenever a player signs an offer sheet, I think there's this kind of a visceral reaction from the fans of, um, you betrayed us, you hate our city, you hate our team. Uh, th- there's there's more factors to it, and I this is kind of what this whole podcast, I think, is going to be about. Um, it's going to start all the way, basically, from the day Kotkaniemi entered the organization, and it's basically going to end uh, with, you know, potentials for as far as next season. But basically, I, I just did want to go through kind of almost like the history of Kotkaniemi yeah. with the Canadians. So, um, just started off rough. Yeah, <laughs> and and before you know, before anything, um, Kotkaniemi is a 21 year old center slash left wing. He's six two and 198 pounds, according to Cap Friendly. Um, yeah, so started off the 2018 NHL entry draft. Um, somewhat of a heavy draft in terms of. You know, quality. Yeah, a lot of good players. I, I you know, it, it was, um, it was clearly one of those years where you know, you go back into this, you know, basically twenty, you know, fifteen, twenty fourteen, all the way up to this point, like we could not find a center for our life. Like the Montreal yeah. Canadiens have had center issues, you know, essentially since and including like the Saku Koivu era. Like we just do not have the depth on, on center that we couldn't draft them. Um, you know, and the, yeah, the last one we had drafted ended up being Galchenyuk, Galchenyuk at and, third overall. Yeah, and you know, while that one was a bit more of a you know consensus pick, it, it obviously didn't pan out, and you know that that draft sucked in, in general. But um, you know, it, it was definitely a year where you know a lot of people were you know weighing the consideration of you know while generally in the first round a team wants to pick based on talent. We might actually have to take a centerman here, mm-hmm. uh, and I guess you know that's what we did in the end. Yeah. So looking at the top ten picks, so uh, also Mon- this is the year that Montreal, if you remember, jumped up into a lottery position, third overall, where you know anyway well, there was other big names surrounding it, but first overall, uh, Rasmus Dahlin, left-hand defenseman, he was projected to go first overall and did. Then you have Andrei Svechnikov, right wing, left wing. Uh, drafted by Carolina, uh, he was also projected to go second overall consensus. So the first and second overall players went where they were supposed to go. Then the Canadians get up there, and nobody really knew what they were going to do. It could be Kotkaniemi, it could be Kachuk, it could be 
uh, Hughes. Don't it could say be that name. yeah. It could be Zadina. Um, really, they they didn't know, but um, Yasperi Kotkaniemi gets uh, selected to center left winger. He jumps up five spots where he was projected to go number eight overall. So um, right away, Canadians have you know a five spot reach just to get that centerman. Yeah, and, and you know this is you know I did you take the average here? Uh, no, this is uh, based off of the uh, TSN consolidated okay, so ranking. So they did the average. Yes, yeah, so they did the average. Keep in mind though. You know, this is an average at putting him at eighth with a very, very high variance. Like there was, yes. there was some guys taking, you know, Kotkaniemi at sixteenth. Absolutely. Um, you know, there were some guys taking Kotkaniemi um, at third because at third, they knew the Canadians would do it. Exactly because they knew we needed, we had the need for a centerman. But this was by no means like one of those situations where it was like a Brady Kachuk situation where some people had him at three, some people had him at six, some people had him at fifth. And he just averaged out to yeah, four. Kotkaniemi spread way out. Kotkaniemi spread basically, you know, throughout the top 20. And, um, you know, yeah. Basically, yeah, I just wanted to preface with that. Ab- yeah, no, absolutely. So he, but, and so, yeah, he does jump up five spots, which um, for myself, I always look at where the player was selected, especially in the first round. And I look above and below the amount of, uh, you know, steps. So, for example, Kotkaniemi getting selected there's two players above him to first overall, so I look at the next two below, and I kind of use that as kind of yeah. the window of comparison for players, because it wouldn't be fair for us to compare Kotkaniemi to like a sixth-round pick, yeah. right? Which, maybe we could. Maybe. Um, <laughs> maybe. But anyway, Kotkaniemi goes... Exactly. Kotkaniemi goes third. Um, we all remember that uh, that lady on the television whose jaw dropped. Who, yeah, I, at first I think everyone kind of resonated with her. Yeah. Then when Kotkaniemi started to show a bit more promise, but more so when Phillips Adina started to look like he wasn't going to be this breakout winger yeah. and get 40 goals his rookie season. Everyone kind of ridiculed everyone her. Everyone kind of ridiculed her, but now everyone's kind of going back to that. Yeah. Like, Which is, yeah. you know, she'll get a position for the hockey management of the to Canadians. To be fair, you know, that, that, that picture of her didn't actually, you know, I don't think the disappointment was her not getting Zadina. I mm-hmm. think it was just with the pick of, like, who the fuck is Well, this? exactly. It's like the top three, she, it's like... There's there's never there's never supposed to be surprises in the top three lottery no. picks, you know. Um, but anyway, so that that basically is the first image when you say Kotkaniemi to the Canadians. You get a diehard fan who bought tickets to the draft, basically going like, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah. Um, so you know, starting on a good note, <laughs> uh, fourth overall we got Brady Kachuk, left wing seven. Ah! Uh, basically just, like, jumped up one spot from his average. Do you, do you know what hurts with this most now? Is that when you realize that he can also play center. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, Kotkaniemi's a center-left-wing hybrid. Um, you know, more so a centerman than anything, but he played left-wing for, yeah. for a good part of in his, his draft his, year. In his draft year. Uh, but Brady Kachuk can also play center, and he had very well. If Paul Byron can play center, Brady Kachuk can yeah, play center. Yeah, and, 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 like, you know, a lot of people say they're hybrids, but for the most part, like, they, you know, they played one position their whole yeah. life. Brady Kachuk played a good portion of his life as a centerman. Yeah. So, you know, this wasn't as clear-cut as I think people thought in terms of drafting on positional need because we had the opportunity to take this, yeah. you know, Probably in my top five favorite players in the NHL right now. Yeah, and going to be an absolute stud. It's very going to be the captain to, of Ottawa too. Yeah, it's very difficult to dislike this guy because one, he's you know he's clearly a very I don't want to turn into Brady Chuck podcast, but I just want to like compare because it it's it's significant because this could have easily been a fork in the road for us yep. and, and taken a you know a player that would have been our future captain. But um, you know Brady Kachuk is one of those guys where he's 
you know, just a, a vicious offensive threat. He's very, very rough, but he's also like a class act player and he's clean, you know, and uh, it's very And he's a legacy to... player, so it's just, he know like, he knows the game very well. Yeah, and, and you can tell just on his face, like, he's got that, like, loyalty to his team, and it, it's yeah. very, very rare to come across that, especially in the top five, where you have a lot of players who, you know, at a very young age, get a very inflated ego mm-hmm. and think, um, you know, pay me, pay me, pay me. Um, and it's, it's very rare to find these kids, but you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. There's no chance we're getting Brady Kachuk now, so let's move on. Yeah, uh, fifth overall, Barrett Hayton, uh, another surprise basically yeah. from Arizona. Center left wing, uh, eight spots jumped He's up. Projected at thirteen, so yeah. another you know. Surprise. So the, also this shows these are the only two centermen in the draft that were in the, well at least in the top ten. Um, it was a weak centerman draft. That, that's the main thing you can tell from this right away is that there just weren't those elite centers that year, which, you know, that that's another kind of, like, demerit point on the Canadians, for example, of, like, really kind of forcing a, you know, round peg into a square hole yeah, there. could have traded for it for next year. Well, that that's it. Could've or even traded, traded for down. an established centerman. Yeah. Not trade it down and taking cocking any exactly. where he's supposed to go. Yeah. Exactly. So then I'll I'll bank through the the bottom half here. Philip Zadina, left wing, right wing, goes to Detroit, drops three spots. Quinn Hughes, left hand D, goes to Vancouver. He also drops three spots. Both these players, you can make an argument right now that they would be more beneficial to the Canadians. Adam Bockwist jo- uh, drops one spot. Uh, right hand D, originally drafted by Chicago, he's now in Columbus. Um, Vitaly Kravtsov. Um, I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. Right wing goes to the New York Rangers, jumps up six spots. They were really hot on him. This this was more one of those things of he could have gone if he didn't go around this spot, he was gonna drop way down. But that was more the Russian factor. Um, and lastly, have Evan Bouchard, right hand D, picked right where he's supposed to be. Um, nice round now. Yeah, Edmonton Oilers select another good one. So. Basically, what you get from this is just from the get-go, Kotkaniemi, there was a big, um, not only was there a lot of pressure, because we basically spent more than we needed to to get him, but, um, and I mean socially spent, but there's also this ex- expectation now because he's now one pick before Brady Kachuk and one after Svechnikov. So they're always going to get compared, these three, yeah. you know? Um, so we'll just jump right in. 2018-19 season, it's his rookie season, he comes in, plays 79 games, 11 goals, 23 assists, 34 points. So on a per-game basis, it's .14 goals, .29 assists, and .43 games, all with 12 minutes and 32 seconds of ice time. So a very, you know, zero-complaint rookie season. Yeah, it looked he good. Was and he was the youngest player in the league by far. It was very, very fun. It was a good, you know, there was, I still remember when he scored his first goal there and everyone went nuts. Um, just overall. You couldn't, you couldn't yeah. really see the pressure, to be honest with you. Like a lot of people, you know, I think that the Habs organization did a really good job at tempering the expectations of this kid at this age. Uh, you know, so young, you know, in, in a role where we needed him to basically take up the mantle immediately. There was a good balance of like, all right, let's get out there, Yasperi, but also like, don't take it personally. Don't listen to the, you know, the stupid fans and, you know, just try to learn while you're out there. Don't try to be perfect. 
So, you know, this rookie season, you know, by all accounts, this is when most people were looking at that woman at the draft and being like, you know what, it's not that bad. Well, that's the thing, because... Zadina wasn't um, playing. Zadina yeah. wasn't playing, Hayton wasn't playing, Bockfist didn't play, Bouchard didn't play, and Kraftstock yeah. didn't play. Um, the only thing is that everyone who did play did have a better season. Yeah, but that's, again... That's I, the asterisk The Shvechnikov and Dalene thing, you know, I, I, I don't think they get compared as much because there's just no opportunity for us to get them. Like, I think... Oh, no, I, I agree with you. Yeah, I think just more or less, like, you know, Kotkaniemi would be compared to Kachuk and Hayden. So, like, obviously, you know, you're right there. But, you know, I, I think, you know, luckily for Kotkaniemi and luckily for, you know, Trevor Timmons and, and Mark Bergevin... You know, he's not going to be compared as rigorously to Andrei Shechnikov. Right, and I, I don't think it, it's justified. I agree. But overall, just, you know, had a decent rookie season, and people were excited to see what he would bring the next year. So, yeah, jump so in. you want to take the next one? Uh, Yeah, for yeah. sure. So in, uh, you know, 2019-2020, we saw, you know, a big lull. Uh, with Kotkaniemi, um, you know, obviously ending in a season-ending spleen injury yeah, off of that huge hit. Zadarov uh, dumped yeah, him. Yeah, from Zadarov right at the you know back of our net, uh, back of back of Colorado's net, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, on, on the four check there, um, you know, not a not a dirty hit. I, I you know I think there was a big shock in the moment. Um, yeah, it was a nineteen year old kid getting hit by a six foot five, two hundred forty five yeah, pound defenseman. It was That's just all a big hit, and there was it was kind of like one of those push hits if yeah. you guys remember it, but. You know, anyway, getting into the season stats, he he ended up with 36 games played. Um, you know, he had a bit of an increase, a bit of a you know an increase on a per game basis in goals. He had six goals, so that's up to 0.17 uh, in his rookie season. He had 0.14, only two assists, so big decrease there. Uh, it's a 0.06 assists per game, down from a 0.29. Uh, in terms of total points, he had eight points, again, way down, basically halved from, from last year on a per-game basis, uh, from 0.43 in his rookie season to 0.22. And um, the same ice time. The same ice time. That's so, the scary part. You know, this was like, you know, I, I think, you know, if I was a Kotkin Niemi, uh, you know, apologist or something like that, I would look at these stats and, and basically, you know, keep people's eyes focused on the games played and be like, you know, don't, don't look on the per-game basis or any of the advanced stats or anything, but... Yeah, you know, and by all cite accounts, the sophomore jinx. Yeah, cite the sophomore jinx that, you know, realistically for, for top six players, like, you know, just doesn't exist yeah. across the board. I mean, there's there's a few examples, but this is one of those statistical things that, you know, you know wherever you want to find a zebra, you'll find one. And, like, it's, um, you know, you'll, you will always find with a, with a player pool as large as the um, in the NHL, you have so many years played, you're going to find these all over the place, but it's not a real statistical trend. So this was actually... You know, decently scary for us, I think. And um, our only glimmer of hope was the fact that, you know, he was 36 games played. Maybe that skewed his, you know, the games he did play. Maybe they were just, you know, off games and he was going to really, really pick it up in the second half of the season. But at 36 games played, like, this is a decent sample size that, uh, you know, we were we were pretty worried about it. That's it. And just, just keep in mind, the first year he played, we didn't make the playoffs. And then this is the problem with Kodkiniemi is he comes back after that injury and he has four goals in ten games in the playoffs when we had that, you know, like against all odds yeah. kind of playoff run. And so people were just back up to being high on him. So then going into last season, 56 game played. So he played all the games, um, five goals. So his goals drop again, um, not only just from the previous season, but to an all-time low of 0.09 goals per game. Um, his assists, he had 15 assists in 56 games. That's 0.27 assists per game. So his assists go back up from the year before 
but don't quite get back to the height of his rookie yeah. season. And then 20, playing with much better players, much better players, much much better. Um, and then twenty points per game, uh, twenty points in fifty six games, point thirty six points per game, uh, which similarly goes back up from the season before, but doesn't quite hit the peak of his uh, rookie season. But he also played thirteen minutes and ten seconds on average, so he was getting basically a whole other shift per game. Yeah. So. Um, this was the slap in the face, I think. I, yeah. You know, looking at you know looking at the team because you know the environment that these things happen in. You know, it's not a vacuum. It's not just Kotkaniemi on the ice. The team makes a big, obviously, difference. His his, his line mates, but also people on in the periphery to Kotkaniemi. So his the leaders he looks up to, the coaching staff. You know, we saw a change from Claude Julien to Dom Ducharme. All these things, you know, cr- you know, feed into the results we get from Jesperi Kotkaniemi, and while. Basically, everyone on the team is improving. You know, we're seeing huge strides from Nick Suzuki, the introduction of Cole Caulfield, you know, Alexander Romanov being thrown in there, obviously, more acutely. But, you know, all of these guys seem to be growing. And our team, you know, especially on the wing, you you see, like, the addition of Tyler DeFoley. You see, you know, Josh Anderson come in, you know, uh, know, a more healthy um, team in general and, mm-hmm. and it's it was very very difficult this year to to swallow the Kotkaniemi pill of you know maybe this guy you know is, is going to peak in his rookie season with us and, yeah. and uh, you know I I don't think you know a third overall pick getting us 34 points per year is, is what we really had in mind and then you know you you add in the fact that you know Brady Kachuk's blowing up Quinn Hughes is blowing up Shvechnikov's blowing up it's it was tough no absolutely and um again he comes in to the playoffs, I think he put up five goals in 19 games. He had something like uh, I, uh, close to half a point per game. I think he had like t- uh, eight or ten yeah, points in 19 games in the playoffs. So this guy seems to show up in the playoffs, which makes it so difficult to value him. However, um, he was ended up benched this year for parts of the playoffs, including the Stanley Cup final. He didn't. Did he even play one minute against Tampa? I think he did. I think he played the first Near the game. End. I'll yeah. double check. At the beginning of the end. But anyway, so the the whole thing is, um, you know, this is just a part, you know, almost he like... He played three games against There you go. But he, you know, not well. No, exactly. And so, and he didn't start with the Canadians against Toronto. He came in late. Yeah. So there's just, this is kind of like an intermission almost where he gets drafted higher than he should and people are questioning it. Then he just basically continuously declines and gets injured and gets benched throughout his years where he's almost teasing the fans with playoff production but then his season stats drop way down again and so what ends up happening is you get people who just don't know how to value this guy which is completely reasonable but um what happens is the trend even if it's if it's jumping and dropping and jumping and dropping like you said, everyone around him has just a steady incline, which when you have a volatile player like that, statistically speaking, it makes it very, very hard to basically want to build around him. And so I have a few like significant dates here, and it's just from the moment Kotkaniemi was on the team to basically the offer sheet, just to kind of show, I'm, I'm trying to be reasonable and show like his mentality of it, besides just the fact that it's a lot of money. Um, July 15th, 2018, so basically a month after Kotkaniemi gets drafted, Philip Deneau signs his three-year, $3.08 million deal with Montreal. So there's one top six centerman. September 
a couple months later, 10th, 2018, Nick Suzuki is traded from Vegas to Montreal. So now there's another centerman that Montreal is basically introducing into the depth chart. Um, July 1st, 2019, Sebastian Ajo is offer sheeted and put a little asterisk in your mind, everyone. Um, five years, $8.454 million to Montreal, which Carolina eventually matched. But there's another attempt at a top six um, centerman to basically be on the team. July 28th of this year, Philip Deneau leaves the team for uh, Los Angeles, five years at $5.5 million. And a big part of why he left was the fact that Suzuki and KK were two young centermen that were pushing their way into the top six. Yeah. And then August 28th of this year, Kotkaniemi signs an offer sheet with the Carolina Hurricanes. One year, $6.1 million plus a $20 signing bonus, which is a reference to the number 20 that Aho wears with Carolina because Carolina is essentially trolling the Montreal Canadiens. And if Montreal does not meet this um, offer sheet and match it, the compensation is a first and a third. So, let's just look at that. Those are a lot of dates and everything, but basically, Deno Suzuki Aho. These are all guys who Montreal either attempted to or successfully attempted to bring onto the team to play in the position that they were expecting Kotkaniemi to fill. If I'm Jesperi Kotkaniemi, I'm looking at, um, you know, the team basically has consistently tried to find people who are better than me, which I don't blame Mark Bergevin for looking for centermen. But um, you get that's the first thing. You've got fans who, like we said, are up and down constantly, and nobody seems to value, know exactly what his value is. Um, he, you have someone who basically put him up to, almost set him up to fail to a certain degree in the Canadians organization because of drafting him higher than he should have been. And, you know, all the all the calculators had his contract at about 2.5 mil for a couple of years. So he sees $6.1 million to go to a team with a bunch of players from, you know, Finland, where he's from, that are, you know, a successful team. And basically, um, partially doing it, you know, to spite the Montreal Canadiens. And he himself probably felt a bit spiteful given the, the result of the last season with the Stanley Cup playoffs and how he was treated. Yeah. So overall, you add all that together and you've got someone who signs an offer sheet. Yeah. I, that's the best way I can put it. Yeah, so that's a good recap of, of his position. I think, you know, in terms of our position, I you know many of those players that we listed, uh, Aho and, and Deno specifically, I don't think... You know, realistically, he saw them as his replacements. I, I, I think, you know, especially when you're signing a guy like Philip Deno to a three-year contract, that's more of like, you know, like I'm 19 years old. Uh, someone has to play the position until I'm, you know, 23, 20, 24. Um, and that's going to be Philip Deno while I develop. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'll counter that point a little bit. With Sebastian Ajo, too, I, you know, obviously most players, especially at this age, like, you know, they want to be, you know, Sidney Crosby or whatever. I don't think anyone thought Kotkaniemi was, was an Aho level of, of centerman, and mm -hmm. I don't think even Kotkaniemi thought that. And again, a bit of an age difference there, so, um, well, quite a bit of an age difference. Like, I, I don't think that was so much of a, of a comparison. What I thought, what I think what mostly got him was, you know, his treatment basically in, 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 the, uh, in the Stanley Cup final, I think. You know, there, there wasn't a ton keeping him here, and I, I think, you know, especially with a, with a, with a, you know, the Victor Mete situation, you know, they were clearly very close. Um, and I, I guess, 
you know, Stanley Cup final was kind of the last straw, and, and you know, it, it begs the question what that, you know, pointing the fingers up during the Stanley Cup, during the Toronto series there was all about, but, you know, it could have been early contract talks or extensions. I, I have a feeling that Kotkaniemi and his agent were already talking extensions or uh, contract negotiations before the season ended, and Mark Bergevin just didn't want to hear it till the cup run was over. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, Kotkaniemi maybe took that personally because Dano had already been offered something. Um, so, you know, I, I you know, it, it's hard to, you know, just from a monetary perspective, you know, look at a, a $6.1 million contract um, and, and, and refuse it at that age. But at the same time, I... I don't think he realizes fully um, the significance of how this is going to affect his future um, in terms of contract negotiations. Because all of a sudden he's he would turn into one of those players that is vastly overpaid. You know, basically, you know, two and a half times his projected contract. And um, you know, you look at those players in the league right now. Obviously, to another levels like a guy like Jeff Skinner, mm-hmm. um, and you know, people see these guys as like the team cancer, basically. Well, that, that's it. And I, I just want to say, I don't think it's fully this, but there is also a small amount of if I'm a, a guy where obviously, like you said, it's a lot of money, and you know, it's it, it's a big deal for him. But I look at Carolina and I go, you know, you're you're kind of just using me. I don't even yeah, know if you really that's want the way me. I would look at it. Because I, I would turn to them and say... Especially when I saw that $20 signing bonus, I'm like, I'd be like, oh, here it goes with the Aho thing again. Yeah, you know? and, I, and I would also just turn to them and say, you know, like, if you really, really like me, why didn't you draft me that year? Yeah, exactly. So, basically, to me, it's like, the, there's this thing people sometimes forget. You don't have to sign a contract. This is him actively choosing. And I, I do think the money's the biggest mover, because that's a lot of financial security for him. And we'll get into basically the contract. It is and it's not. I mean, like, at the same time, I mean, you know, he could very well end up making less money than he would have with our contract. You know, right. Because we offered him, I think, three times 2.5 or something like something, that. Yeah, something, yeah. Something in that exact. ballpark. And, like, you know, obviously the future value of money is worth more than the present value. And like, that's just basic finance. Mm-hmm. But, like, at the same time, you could be like, yeah, well, he can get another contract after this year. But I don't know if it's that... Simple. I mean, like, I, I, I obviously think Jesperi Kotkaniemi is going to play in the NHL next year, but I think it might be one uh, more of this um, uncertainty in his contract because, um, um, you know, people are, are going to look at that 6.1 and be like, you know, is he expecting this? Do I really want to get in these negotiations with him, especially with how he left Montreal? And then, it, you know, it, well, that that's the thing. And, like, we're going to, we'll touch on that in a few minutes there in terms of the future of his contracts, but. It, it does set him up for an easy way to make a lot of money. But, um, yeah, overall, I think there's enough factors to understand why someone would sign that. Between, I wasn't so much saying that, like, Deno being on the team when he was 18 was um, a replacement. But I just mean between Deno, Suzuki, Aho, and Kotkaniemi, I think he was aware that if he had to compete for a spot, he would lose in the top six. And I yeah. think he wants to be in the top six, which, again... He'll probably end up being a winger in Carolina if he wants to do that. There's clearly a transparency issue in the Montreal Canadiens organization because this whole Deno fiasco of he's worried about the future could have completely been avoided if Mark Bergevin, you know, looked at a leader on the team like Philip Deno and told him the situation was caught to Niemi and how things were going with his agent. And it could have been like, listen, Phil, like you're you're not out of the top six. I mean, like we're gonna potentially use Yasperi. You know, there's a lot of talk going around that. Kotkaniemi was being shopped in the mm-hmm. offseason. 
And, um, you know, I, I completely believe that. And I, you know, I, it, it, I think what Bergevin does that I think frustrates a lot of fans sometimes, and it explains a lot of our off seasons that he consolidates these contract negotiations yeah. to the point where no one knows what's going on. Yeah. And like, you know, if you don't know what your position is on the team, like with Philip Deneau, um, it can feel a lot of the times like you're the only one who doesn't know. And if that basically can you know, give them the feeling that they're on the way out. So like, if you're not telling Phil, you know, what's happening with Kakiemi, what's happening with Suzuki, what's happening with all these guys, he might feel like, okay, well, clearly I'm the only one who doesn't know anything here. I'm clearly the one out. No, I, I agree. And so now, now just now to, we have no centers. <laughs> exactly. And and now to look at more of the, um, you know, less of the emotional side of this. Um, very simply, if the Canadians decide to match the offer. They will have 22 men on the roster, as it is right now. And this is assuming Shea Weber's on long-term injury. And they will be f- about 500 so uh, $519,262 uh, above the cap. So, so if they no ex- wiggle room. Basically, they need to make a move yeah. to keep them. So someone's getting traded out for basically way less than they're valued at. Yeah. You know, you'll, you'll see maybe a... I'm I'm just making up on the spot, but you would see someone. Let's say you could get a, uh, a third round pick for Brett Kulak. You now get him for a sixth because yeah. people know you're you're desperate. Yeah, and also this really, you know, I I think a lot of people. You know, I'm not going to go into this tangent deeply, but I think a lot of people are are kind of counting us out in terms of you know playoff perspective this year. Um, yeah, but I, I Cedric will, Paquette's our second line center. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> but I think it's a bit unfair just by, you know, the fact that our roster isn't set and we can still make a lot of moves. But that being said, like, you know, being this cap strap does not leave a lot of options in terms of, one, injuries, and two, for, you know, trade deadline acquisitions uh, when we're basically at zero on the cap. Like, you always want to have a little bit of buffer room. Of course. I forget who said it, but, like, cap space is the most valuable Who's the GM of uh, Seattle? This yeah, year's Ron so, Francis. And, and that's completely true, because a lot of the times you see at these tra- trade deadline, um, um, you know, trade deadline days, like, you can get guys really cheap for, for playoff runs, and, you know, when you have, you know, basically zero dollars to your name yeah. in terms of being an organization... Uh, that really sucks, especially when you have guys like Brendan Gallagher where, you know, one puck to the hand and, you know, he could be out at the end of the season and, you know, not in time to, you know, successfully get his cap hit off the team, but, you know, just enough time that it just really screws us. And, yeah. Uh, I don't, you know, I will get into what we do after. But, yeah, at the very end. Yeah. yeah. But so matching, um, we're about under, like I said, by about 500K uh, over, sorry. And if we decide not to match, we get the first and the third round picks and we would have $5,580,000, 5. $5.5 basically uh, in cap space. The specific number being uh, $5,580,773. Um, but only 21 men on the roster. So we'd have to go get two spots for 5.5 mil. So again, doesn't leave a lot of room if you need NHL players, you know, because now all of a sudden you're getting a second-line centerman and another forward for 5.5 mil, like, and there's no one available, basically, to just buy right now, which leads me to my next point, which is how do you replace Yasperi Cockney? I mean, there's a four ways to replace a player. Um, I'm basically going from the path of least resistance to the most. So um, the f- easiest one is an internal replacement. So you look at Laval and you say, who can play? The only name that comes up right now is Ryan Paling. Ryan Paling on the second line is not where I want him. No. 
there's no other. I'm not going to go deeper into that. That's it. I, I don't want him there yet. He's not ready for that. Um, then you go to the UFAs, and the only UFA right now... Just, hold on, let's just stay on Ryan Paling for a second. Would you do, you know, God forbid this, this Druin thing comes to fruition, um, you, whoever's listening to this is definitely aware, but, you know, there's, there's yeah, talks, Druin basically said he'd be willing to play center again. I don't think anyone who's, you know, serious about this team and has been watching consistently over the last, you know, probably five years would ever want that to happen. Just after that one year that he played, uh, just not good, um, really, really not good in the top six, which is where he'd be playing. He'd be basically our two C. Yeah. But would you be against Ryan Paling taking a three C, Evans four C, and then or flip that Evans three C, Paling four C, and have Drew and play two C? Again, would I want it? No. Would I accept like it? Like ignoring the Drew thing. Like is Paling okay for you in, in three or four? Yes, seasons? absolutely. Yeah. That's what I meant by I don't want Paling at two C. Yeah, I don't want I Paling like, to be honest with you in the AHL this year. Yes, I think he's done. For the most part. I, I think he's done his development there for the yeah. most part. I think ideally Paling, like in an ideal world where we didn't have all this drama in the off season, I think where I'd want Ryan Paling this year is in and out of the NHL. You know, like he gets these stints probably like 40 games here. 30 to 40 games. And, yeah. Uh, but yeah. Obviously Basically just playing his more. He's a bigger, stronger dude. Bottom six yeah. role. He's but gonna he be, can put yeah. up offense. He's going to be in or out this season. I guarantee it. Yes. And I think he's going to be. Yeah. And we did sign him for two years. Yeah. So um, it just it's a little different now. But yeah. So that's the internal replacement. Like you said, there's Jonathan Druin or there's Ryan Palin. Um, the only UFAs that I, I think as a 2C would be Eric Stahl. You can't have Bozak. You can't have Zajac. Um, Eric Stahl showed that when he play, you know, we know his his history that when he plays in the top six, he puts up points. He likes it here in Montreal. He had a rough year offensively this year, but he was on the fourth line yeah. and he played in Buffalo. He so, played a great playoffs. So it's it's not far fetched, and you probably wouldn't have to pay him very much. Wait, and no, like yeah. we said, five point five mil. You can even if he asks for you know two million dollars, that's it's reasonable. And um, I don't think it's the craziest thing in the world to bring yeah. him back, but it's again not ideal. But you know, yeah. so now another option, not UFAs, but RFAs. So we lose Kotkaniemi to an offer sheet, and we can easily offer sheet another team. So there's two names that came to mind for me. I'm gonna start with the like the kind of crazier one, and then I'll go to the more obvious one. So the the crazy one would be Elias Pettersson. Um, the only thing with Elias Pettersson is. Um, one, like any offer sheet, you would be overpaying, but two, based off of the fact that Vancouver has cap space, it would be a massive overpayment if you want to make sure yeah. they don't match. And, and I think they match anything you throw at them. Yeah, I don't think Elias Pettersson's a guy that they would they would ever part with. And, and you know, we also you know, brushed over the fact that this would basically wipe out our draft picks for the next four years. Yeah, so, it, would, it would be so it would be the top be three, bracket. No, it would it would be the top bracket round, yeah. for sure. It'd four, be four first round picks. Yeah. So this would you know this would basically wipe out our future, you know, eight years down the line. Yeah. The only thing is that like we basically do that ourselves drafting yeah, in the first that's round. That's the thing is you know all of these <laughs> options are a bit easier to swallow based on our drafting history. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know how some of these drafting decisions go unpunished in our organization because they, they, you know, are very frequently punished in other teams. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. So, um, Elias Pettersson, option, but not really, like, an option. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think, you know, many, 
I don't think that contract that realistically he would get is one that I, I think would lead to success on this team. Right. Now, here here's one that's interesting. Nolan Patrick. Um, Nolan Patrick is a former second overall pick. He's a huge, big, you know, centerman. High, high, high ceiling. Very, very rough start to the NHL between injuries and then I believe he had, like, chronic migraines for, like, a year. Took him out of the league. Um, but when he did play, he played well. Um... Play, but traded this year from Philly to Vegas. Now, the reason I say it's interesting is Vegas is in a worse situation than we are money-wise. Um, they are at a full roster at $0 with no LTIR. So they can't unless they trade out a bunch of players, they cannot afford to match. Yeah, another thing that I think makes this even more plausible with Vegas is the fact that this team like perpetually lives in the moment. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, Patrick... While he could have enormous upside right now, I think most people are looking at him, you know, a year or two down the road, and I don't even think Vegas looks that far ahead. No, like they're I, very, I they're very. Let's live in the moment and let's just please the fans. I um, I agree, and I I just I think it's like the opposite of Seattle. Basically. Exactly, and and I think Nolan Patrick is someone who has that untapped. I mean, it was he was the first overall pick consensus for months and months and months yeah, until he sure he sure had a good uh, World Juniors. That yeah. was basically it. But um that's a target that you can really go after. You know, that's a guy where, you know, you can offer him even something similar to Kotkin. I mean, if 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 we offer him between 1 and 4 years or something or 5 years at that money, you know, or even a little bit less, they, it, there's no chance Vegas does it without trading out basically half their top six. Yeah. So um, that that one, I just kind of got like the uh, like the blinking lights, you know? It's just like, go, 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 do it. Um, so we'll see how that goes. And, uh, you know, if, if predictions come true, it'll be cool that we have this uh, documented. Yeah. It's entirely doable. And uh, he's someone who, that's a good like second center who could potentially yeah. turn into, you it's, know, a one-two punch with uh, Suzuki as two elite centermen. It's realistic. Like, let's get into the trades here because I think this is what's mostly been circulating around social media. Yeah, so I want to bring first... it from, uh, like, most, uh, least to most likely again. So, yeah, start least with Least likely, the, yeah. Least likely yeah, would be the so, first one. Yeah, yeah <laughs> for sure. Um, so the least likely here would, would definitely be Jack Eichel. I mean, like, this is a guy who... You know, clearly has been having issues with the Buffalo Sabres. I don't want to get into that so much just because it's not interesting in this podcast. But, you know, the, the one issue that you have in terms of likelihood with this guy and feeding into that function is the price tag on him. You know, this is you know, this is a big payment to swallow here. Clearly a very proven player. He would immediately change the forecast of our team. He would, you know, take the 1C immediately from Suzuki, yeah. which, you know, would be a really good spot to have Nick Suzuki. You know, like Nick Suzuki's a guy where, you know, he can play that one C for sure, and he did for the most part last season. Yeah. But I can see him kind of being like that Malkinus guy where yeah, you know, where it's like he'd be a one C everywhere else. Yeah, he'd be a one C everywhere else. But like if you give him that guy that kind of just slightly takes the spotlight off of him, he'll just do even that much better. And yep. I, I think you know Jack Eichel would obviously do that. I mean, I I'm just thinking of line pairings right now with this guy where it would just absolutely could bring us to probably like one of the best lines in the NHL. Yeah, if sure. you give him to Foley and Hoffman, Hoffman and basically yeah. just say distribute. Yeah. You have two guys who are going to put 30 to 35 goals and he'll put up 30 on his own. Well, this is the thing. Is like, you know, you always, goals from these guys. You always look at Eichel, you know, you know sort of like other 
you know, potential franchise guys. You know, I don't think he's, he's not there, but he's, he's close. You know, he's mm. like in that A tier, S tier yeah. there. And, you know, it's like, yeah, he you see him as a distributor, but he gets 30, 35 goals every year. Well, that's right? it. And we, like, we've, we've said it before. I don't know if we've said it on the podcast, but um, playmakers can score goals. Snipers can't get assists. Exactly. It's so, just yeah, he'll, he'll, he would get 100 points, but he'd have, like, 40 goals. Exactly. So, like, um, yeah, so, you know, Jack Eichel's an, an obvious one. You know, with, with this agent change that he's had, with, you know, with this whole fiasco he's had with Buffalo, you know, this is a guy that's very close to Mark Bergeron, have made deals in the past, and, you know, it made it that much more likely. To add to that drama, you know, there was there was a, uh, like, a, an event that was happening in Montreal, yeah. and, you know, he, he boarded a plane to Montreal that hit the news with his hockey sticks, but it ended up, you know, being something a little bit different anyway, but... I still don't think it's off the table. I mm-hmm. think Mark Bergevin, especially with a contract that this big, that's this big, would really, really take his time and really, really try to finesse a price out of Buffalo. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And, yeah. and this thing, Buffalo's at a point of weakness where, you know, when when we say the price is high for Jack Eichel, obviously his cap hit is high, but it also the cost to get him is high, but it's not oh, as extremely crazy. high as it used yeah. to be. You're never especially gonna, with how especially with how not tied to our draft picks. We well, are. that's it, and and also just the fact that you know when you're trading a guy like Jack Eichel away, you're never expecting a guy like Jack Eichel coming back. So that you're you're expecting to basically rebuild your team using his value. So they'll get, you know, two top six guys and a couple uh, or two middle six guys, a couple of picks and prospects. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's entirely, again, all of these guys are entirely possible. It's just the likelihood ranges. Yeah, it ranges. So the so next one that I think... I'm going to, yeah, likely-wise, yeah. probably uh, Thomas Hurdle. Yeah, so, yeah, I, well... Mo- yeah. Less likely than the other one. Yeah, I, I think we'll disagree here a little bit. I'll, I'll start with Christian Dvorak, and you can maybe take Thomas Hurdle, but, you know, Dvorak's a guy who... You know, definitely fits the mold the Canadians have right now, just because there's this you know peg left by Philip Deneau that Christian Dvorak has a lot of his game is similar to him. You know, he's very defensively responsible, pretty good at the faceoff, pretty good in the faceoff circle. Um, has you know is, is a lot younger than I think most people think. He's 25 years old, yeah. a little bit younger than Philip Deneau. Um, you know, I I don't know why, but I just thought this guy was like bordering 30, but he's <laughs> not. But you know, maybe that's what Arizona does to you. But you know, really good point totals on a really bad team, and you know, there's no way this guy is tied down to the Arizona Coyotes. I mean, like no one is. You know, this team's just in a spiraling free fall. Uh, I think you know they'll definitely be moved within the next few years, even despite you know Gary Bettman saying they're staying. I, I think yeah. they're moving, but either way, I, I no one's tied to that team, and I think Dvorak. Um, you know, if he hasn't asked for a trade, I think within the next few years, it's definitely coming. And I, I think um, that'd be a perfect 2C to Suzuki. He definitely wouldn't take that 1C away no. from him like Eichel would. But uh, again, the price tag would be great. And also the price that we have to pay to Arizona would be good. You know, if we lose Yemi, we can take that first and third and give it to Arizona. You know, or keep Carolina's first and, and trade our first. Yeah. Um, they might ask for like one maybe of the something piece, more, but not more yeah. than that. I that's think that's the, why I think it's the most reasonable of the three, because it would be the asset management and the it would be the least expensive. Oh no, I think Dvorak's the most reasonable of three. That's what I was saying. Yeah. Is that that's why I was saying I wanted to do Hurdle first oh, because okay. I think oh, yeah, Hurdle's yeah. less okay. likely to happen yeah, yeah, yeah. than Dvorak. Okay, yeah. But yeah, no, I, we agree there then. Yeah, I thought you jumped in to say Hurdle because it was out of order. Oh yeah, no, I just put them out of order. But mm-hmm. basically, yeah, no, I, I agree with you that Dvorak is the most likely. Yeah, it would be most likely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it is out of order. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, but so, yeah, that, I agree that D Dvorak's the most likely based on play style and cost. Yeah. Um, and also just, the, you know, we've seen more news about the Habs inquiring about him. And so, like we said, Thomas Hurdle's the last, uh, basically, center that's been the news lately. Um, you know, I've seen some articles that are saying that the cost to get Thomas Hurdle will be similar to that of uh, when Florida traded Vincent Trocek. So, you know, Hurdle's another, you know, bigger centerman. Can You know, he had a great season this year. He's, he's a 30-goal scoring centerman for sure. Um, and Trocek's price, because of Hurdle's one-year contract, was basically two middle six forwards and two prospects. Um, just to put in perspective, too, it was really like a second line, third line player, and like a third line, fourth line player. I believe they were, uh, I, I can't remember their names, but they're so similar. It's like the the wall marks and yeah. the line marks. It wasn't. <laughs> it just wasn't much. Like no, it's, it's it wasn't. Not what you'd think. And you know, so you'd get for Trocheck. And so, so sending like you know Hurdle, you know, for example, like a a Druin and a Byron. Yeah, so with like a, two yeah. prospects. So like a two and a three four, exactly. exactly. Like you said. I think that would so, be. I would honestly think that that's more than with, enough. You know, like maybe like a like one of our left hand defensive prospects and, and Palin or something. And yeah, and Palin or even less. So maybe like a Cam yeah, Hillis. Yeah. And so like the like it's it's doable, but it's more one we don't typically deal with San Jose. So like I don't really know. I don't know why. Like they I they're really like, yeah. they're right now they're really really. Like a, a fertile ground of, of taking their stuff yeah. between the whole Evander Kane thing and between like their aging team, like this is a time to really like, start picking at them a little bit. But well, the, that's it, and it's just I, I don't know. We play I, them I, so infrequently. Usually, you see the opposite. I, I feel like there's this weird NHL thing about like dealing with teams that you deal with more because you have let's say like more scouts in Buffalo than you do in San Jose. Yeah. And I, I just think that needs to just change. Yeah, I know. Because <laughs> like we live, like like we don't need to send messenger dubs anymore, and like the yeah. like the British aren't coming. Yeah, you, you can know? watch like four K footage, eight K footage. Yeah. like you're not watching. It's like you can also yet. send a scout to San Jose for the year. Yeah, that's it's just I I don't know. I notice a lot of time, you know, we don't deal with the West Coast as much as the East Coast, and it just it's it's I'm sure it's easy because you know the players better, but it's just very odd. Yeah. Um. So that that basically wraps up the the replacements. I think. Like, um, overall, clearly we have options, and whether or not that goes through is basically going to be on, I really think, two factors. One, um, Bergevin's, like, balls, basically, whether yeah. or not he goes for it. And two, honestly, just depending on what we, we think with Cockney. Yeah, let us know, guys, what you think, because we're still kind of unsure about where you think Bergevin stands with Drew and playing center. Like, mm -hmm. I... You know, I'm 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 in the position now where where it's not even close to me. Like I, I cannot have this guy playing center like anywhere in the anywhere. lineup. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to play anywhere. But like, you know, I especially in that two C role with, you know, his history at center, his history even on the wing with his back check. Like this is not a position where, um, is it's going to be a logical substitution. I I think the only reason why Druin could have possibly brought that up is because he's looking at our depth chart on the wing and being like, oh, shit. Yeah, he you wants know? his ice time. But he wants his ice time. But, you know, I, I think, you know, I um, I don't think that's an option for the success of our team. I just, let us know what you guys think about where Bergevin, where you think Bergevin stands with this idea. Um, I have a feeling, I have a feeling he's on board with it, and that's the issue. Yeah, what do you because think? I, I think it justifies the trade. I think Bergevin is constantly looking to kind of save his own tail a little yeah. bit. And this, if if Jonathan Druin can play second-line center, 
and instead of like we said with Eichel, be playing with Toffoli and Hoffman and just basically put up, you know, 75 assists with these guys, I think it'll justify Bridgman being like, oh, we finally got through yeah, them. It's but like, I disagree because... You know what? Like I, While I don't think he gets 75, I, I do think Druin would thrive with teammates like that. I worry about that line in general. I mean, like yeah. you have Toffoli there, but you know Hoffman and Druin are, are definitely not... Um, they're offense-first guys. They're offense-first guys, and, and specifically looking at the center position and with how our centers played last year, specifically in the playoffs with this defensive shutdown role that... You know, basically across the board, all of our centers took. I mean, like you yep. look at Suzuki played phenomenal defense. Dano obviously was the game breaker. Um, you know, against Toronto, against Vegas, against Winnipeg to some extent, uh, and did great against Tampa Bay. And like teams were actively avoiding him. Then you had Evans, who was just like a you know a, a energy energy just rocket out there. Yeah. And then you had Eric Stahl who was just cycling the puck in the offensive zone and I, I just do not see Jonathan Drew doing that. And I think if we want success we kinda have to replicate that model because we're doing it defensively. You know, we're 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 sticking with that let's run four guys yeah. and have a bottom pair because that worked so well in the playoffs and really really tone it back offensively and really lock it down defensively for Kerry and, and, and Jake Allen and that's the model we're going after and I think if we want if we're going to go that way, we've got to do it offensively and defensively. Yes, we're back to that um, no idea what our identity is issue, yeah. which like I'm sure it'll come up again. But basically, the, the last thing I did want to say is that, and this was the last kind of factor, you kind of touched on it before, but um, whatever we decide to do, there's not one off-season. There's, you know, perpetually until the Canadians get, you know, moved, which will never happen. Um, there's off season, so we we have to remind people that next season, Suzuki's a restricted free agent, so he needs a contract. Um, if you don't lock him down early, he will get offer sheeted again, like this. Um, Romanov is a specific uh, type of RFA. It's I believe 10.2 classification, so that means he can't be offer sheeted. But he still needs a contract. Yeah, and he has this Russia issue where, like, this yeah. guy will just go back to the cage. Exactly. It, it it gives these the and and more moreover than that, it's it's the lack of commitment to North America. So you can have this like, um, you know, Kaprizov situation where it's just like you better pay me a lot of money because there is literally nothing keeping me here. And it's yeah. the same thing with Romanov. Except I mean, like freedom. The, yeah, it's like freedom, <laughs> but they don't care. But Romanov will basically be like, listen, the only thing I have here is, like, my 14-year-old girlfriend, <laughs> okay? And, like, my dad who comes every eight months. Yeah. There's nothing that keeping me here in North America. It's so like, you know, you have to give him that, yeah. basically, that bonus of, like, please stay here. Then you look at Nick Suzuki, and it's like, if he looks, so if he has any kind of, you know, intelligent or competent agent, he's going to be like, you just paid Yasperi Kotkin me $6.1 million dollars. You're going to be paying Nick Suzuki. Well, that's the thing. And and that's the last thing I want to touch on is Kotkaniemi. So the fact that he signs a one-year deal, at his age, he stays in RFA. So whoever owns his rights now, um, again, basically we'd be back to the same spot the next season. However, his qualifying offer, because it's over a million dollars in uh, cap hit, begins at 6.1 mil. So let's say the Canadians want to basically just you know, don't want to offer him a completely new contract. They want to qualify him, just be like, I got another one-year deal to prove it. His prove-it deal is now not 800K or whatever it was. It's 6.1 million, which means if he goes to an, I believe, I could be wrong on this slightly, but if he goes to an arbitrator, there's a chance that it reduces a little bit 
but basically now he's kind of pulled the the floor up yeah on it so all of a sudden this guy is now unless you can like agree basically if he stays in montreal and you go all right look kid like you 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 fucked around a lot last season and you let's say he puts up another 30 something points be like you're you're not touching six mil i'll give you six years at three million dollars yeah something like that that's your only chance to lower the value mm. other than that he's staying at six so you're mark bergman right now you have a minute to make up your mind what are you doing that's that's it so obviously he's got more info so do you, than, first off do you match so that, that that's what i i'm alluded like basically now is that mark bergman has had a week we're gonna find out basically tomorrow um He's done more research Tomorrow than we have. Saturday. Yeah, Saturday at noon, Mark Bergevin has to give his answer. Um, this all, looking at this, I think it comes down to two things. The non-emotional side says let him go. Mark Bergevin's pride is on the line here. Like, he made the commitment to Kotkaniemi. He's put his neck out a lot for this kid. And I think, he, for, again, saving himself the embarrassment of... The Aho deal was um, basically Aho manipulated Mark to get basically the contract that he wanted in Carolina, and now Carolina's laughing like this is just this is a big hit to someone's ego. So I hope that he does the mature thing and says let Kotkaniemi go, which is where my stance is. But it's going to take a very big toll on basically his ego and his image, which we know is important to him. So I'm worried <laughs> in that sense. So what, but then what do you My do? answer is let him go. So yeah, you're let him go. And then what do you do to replace him? Let him go. And I, I like, I, I don't know. I like using all the tools at my disposal. My first target would be Nolan Patrick. I'd go for like the offer sheet, try and really just basically what goes around comes around kind of thing. Just basically pass off the uh the burden of an offer sheet yeah. to the next team and if not then look for a trade because i i don't trust the internal system of the canadians right now in terms of centermen well and... yeah i mean like look paling had a big role in the hl his mm-hmm. first line center put up a lot of minutes there's a big difference between playing a season first line center hl going to your two c the montreal canadians like, and it's, and it's important jump. to note that when evans would come down from the nhl paling would get bumped so yeah. they valued evans talent over palings in the ahl yeah so look i end end result is that i say the canadians should let this very walk it's not unprecedented that a top three pick leaves early line a and dubois earlier this year so, I mean, Patrick as well was a top three pick. So it's not like we'd be breaking any, you know, records. Yeah. Um, so I, I say let him walk. What do you yeah. say? I, I, you know, I say let him walk. And, and you know, I'm going to kind of break this up in, into two portions. What I think Mark Bergman will do and what I would do. So let's just start with what I would do. First off, I would not match that. I mean, that would just, again, reiterating what I would say. It would put us in a, in a really shit position for, for anything this season and, and, you know, for the future too, because again, like you said, we have other off seasons and, you know, having an, a $6.1 million uh, KK, I'm not as much worried about that as what that does to Suzuki and Romanov's contracts. And, and then, you know, even more than that, then going into Cole Caulfield's contracts and, you know, it sets a precedent of like, holy shit, let's settle down here. So it, it's much more than who's playing center next year. So I'm not matching in terms of replacement for me, um, you know, the Nolan Patrick, while it is, you know, 
very appealing to me and, and you know, a, a, an offer sheet is, is nice in that sense. I, you know, Pedersen one, I, as much as I have zero confidence in our drafting ability, I don't know if I could part with four first pick, four, yeah. four, four first overall, uh, first, uh, first round picks, Jesus Christ. <laughs> they could um, all be first overall. Yeah, they could. And, the uh, team's looking. <laughs> but in, in terms of trades, um, you know, uh, sorry, going back to ja- uh, Nolan Patrick, I worry about his injury history a little bit, especially with our team. You know, like all of a sudden now we're talking about, you know, uh, you know Weber, we're talking about Sherratt's hand, we're talking about Gallagher's hand, we're talking Price. about Byron, we're talking about Price, now we're talking about our 2C. Like, I think we need to cut this off uh, at a certain point, and, you know, Anderson. this extends uh, Anderson, you know, Anderson big time too, and, um, you know, even Jonathan Druin. Yeah. You know what I mean, in terms of mental health there, and then, you know, I don't think, and I'm going to be fair here. I, I think this means you know we're erasing Jack Eichel off the board too. In, in my mind, you know, like um, you know, I'm not a neurosurgeon, but like a a, a disc injury in in a, in a cervical spine like that in a contact sport with with that much axial load, I I, I don't see that being a, a good uh, you know situation, especially if something like a John Tavares injury sort of happens to him. Um, especially when you, when when you have that price tag on him. Imagine like we have LTIR Weber and Eichel. Can you imagine that? Um, and then uh, you know, I'm just I'm just aversive to to contracts over nine point five mil in, in general. Uh, I think you are as well. Yeah, I don't believe so, in the the uh, eight figure players. Yeah. So then, what that leaves me with is Dvorak and Hurdle uh, internal rep- replacement. I mean, I jumped in on yours there. Ryan Paling's just not there, especially with the position we're looking at him for. I'd love to see Paling play four C this year, uh, especially if we're going to really you know go, go all in with this young. With this young core, mm-hmm. uh, with Evans at three, Paling at four, and then we got to find that two, and I think that's Dvorak or Hurdle. I mean, obviously, you know, I'd prefer a, a Hurdle here. I mean, like I think that added, you know, killer instinct that you know Hurdle has. Dvorak's kind of showing promise with, but they're both on shit teams, so I kind of equate them a little <laughs> bit. And Hurdle's definitely more talented. Yes. Um, Dvorak does add that defensive upside, though Hurdle's not bad defensively. No, I was going to say the cost of Hurdle's defense is not outweighed no. by Dvorak's So, offense. like, Hurdle is overall a better player. I'm pretty sure he has better face-offs, too. Probably. He's, he's much bigger. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think it's a win-win with both these guys. If Hurdle ends up going for a, for a Trocheck-level stu- level package, I think that's a good idea. But, again, a one-year contract, that could come to bite us in the ass because next year we have a big, big off-season. Yeah. Um, I think I would rather go with Dvorak. What does he have? Three years left. Three or four. He has three or four years left. I'd rather that have that just as a as a as a lock, because I I know what I'm getting there. Um, I'd like to have Christian Dvorak on my two C for a first, a third, and you know something. Yeah, it, it, won't, it, be it won't be much either for it'll those. Be a, a, it could be Cam Hillis as well. It'll it could be Cam be... Hillis. It could be Cam Hillis and something else. I I you know I. I think it's just a floating question mark there, but whatever it is... Or another pick, honestly. Yeah. I, whatever it is, it's not going to meaningfully impact the team. I, I think I'm going with Dvorak. Okay. Interesting. Well, that, that basically wraps up the uh, you know first Free half decision. of this, and I look forward to seeing the decision, but um, whatever what it is... What I forgot is, to say, what I think Bergevin is going to do. Yeah. Yeah, so what I think Bergevin is going to do is he's going to not match it, because I think while his pride like you said, is a huge component of it. I think his pride would be actually shattered if he did match it because I think it would look like some, you know, Carolina team bullied him into, into submission. Um, and, like, it's so almost like... you're saying he doesn't negotiate with terrorists, No, basically. essentially, because, like, he did that to Carolina. Carolina was like, no, you're not going to push us around. We're going to yeah. match. But it's kind of the opposite this time. It's yeah. like, 
Carolina, you know, more looked at them and we, we lowballed Aho. And now they're basically saying like, you'll actually be submitting if you match because we're going to fuck your cap space. But now he's going to be like, no, you're not fucking my cap space. Now you have a $6.1 million third or fourth line left winger. Congratulations. (laughs) Okay. And uh, who clearly has attitude issues with with his behavior. Mm. You know, I'm looking at that. I don't think many people are looking at the, the, the that hand signal that he's yeah, doing. Yeah, I mean, again, that's I'll, I'll just I it's up in the air with that. Mess, it's, it, there's a like, bit of speculation, but I, I don't understand. like that yeah. style of play. I mean, I yeah. find it, it it was and it looked it didn't look like a playful thing. It looked like he was like really like intent. Yeah. Like here it is, puts up four. You're like, you mean goals per year? Yeah, and <laughs> it couldn't have been the scratched players. That doesn't yeah. mean anything because look. They were scratched for like three games. I know. Okay, like they didn't form like a like a fellowship of the ring level bond <laughs> in three games. Like it just doesn't work that way, especially with the guys that were up there. Like Cole Caulfield was not surprised he was scratched. No, like, no chance. It's like, dude, he played like six NHL games. He did calmly, and then he came in and dominated. Yeah, and then he also doesn't put up fingers when he scores. Like, yeah. he's, you know. Anyway, um, I I don't think he's matching that to save his ego primarily, but it'll also save the team in the process. Just my qualm with it is I, I don't think we're going to even see a move. I think we're going to realistically see Jonathan Druin on 2C. Yeah. We're going to see Evans on 3C and Paling on Like 4C. we said, internal is the path of least resistance yeah. with it. And you just basically, the way we were talking about it before is um, you have to just treat these things in terms of likelihood by each transaction being kind of like a step. So internally it's zero steps. Signing a UFA is one step. Signing an RFA is two steps only because you might have to make cap space. Making a trade could be upwards of two steps. You might need to it's send a three player. Steps, the RFA. We have to get the person to agree to the contract. Yeah, there you go. We have to give them picks, and then we potentially have to move someone. Exactly. We most likely we would have to move someone. If it was yes. like a Pedersen, we no, no, exactly. So overall, just I, I just have that scene from the office in my head. Think about the movements of Pedersen. I, I know. It, it's not likely. Um, it's just more to have all the options. We'd be saying goodbye to for sure Bruin, for sure Byron, and someone else. It, yeah. We would still look cool. Yeah, probably. Yeah. But then you also don't have a team. I don't think it would be enough. Um, 5.5 5 plus 1.8 plus... plus 3.4. Okay. Yeah, It'd so be, be, yeah. be just enough. Just but enough. then you also have 18 players on your team. Yeah. But I said, I, was, I just keep thinking of that scene from The Office when Dwight Schrute turns around and says, I'm going to go where they value loyalty the highest. <laughs> you know? So basically I'm I'm excited. I do prefer an exciting off season, but um it's ending quickly. Yeah, well we have hockey this month. Yeah. So, so he's gotta make a move. Yeah. Know? So we will catch you guys in a little bit with either rage or rage, basically. Yeah, I don't think either way you cut this until we it's a get bad a situation. Until we get a substitution, there's there's gonna be no rest. I mean like if we if we match there has to be moves made. If we don't match, there's definitely going to have to be moves made. And I'd be very surprised if we come out with a decision without a path forward. Like, I'd be surprised yeah, the, if we... The only thing I, I was going to say to that, actually, is um, I could very well see Bergevin, uh match the deal and say, who cares, I'm not the GM next year. Yeah, that would be Or nice. not match it and say, who cares, I'm not the GM next yeah. year. And put Jonathan Jordan at 2C and then basically hand it off where it, where it left yeah. off, essentially. I, I, I feel like what'll happen is, like I said, I think most realistically it's Jonathan Drew. And I think what happens is there's a press conference, you know, basically we're not matching. And then, you know, then he brings up, you know, you know Joe has, yeah, has shown exactly. interest in being, I think that's most realistic. If it's not, I want to see something. You know he was a centerman when he was eight years old? Dom- he dominated. <laughs> yeah, he played a, he played, he played a peewee, uh, he played peewee triple A center. It's like, yeah, yeah okay. 
So what all his uh, face-offs? He was six foot one, and the kids were five foot three. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, but the I, and then second most likely for me is we have another press conference. He says, you know, we're not matching, but we're in talks with, you know, insert Dvorak hurdle here, yeah. and uh, we're gonna have a replacement, or it's actually Eric Stahl. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But anyway, we will catch you guys in a couple of days with at least some kind of update. Thank you for listening to the Habs Puck Drop podcast. You can email us your thoughts, questions, and suggestions through our email at habspuckdrop at gmail.com or direct message us on Instagram at habspuckdrop. We'll see you next time.